Well, after that, all I can say is welcome to the low point in the service. <laughs> Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the light of the world, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife celebrated her birthday, and uh, in keeping with a longstanding tradition, I personally baked uh, her birthday cake, uh, which, as some of you know, uh, I have done almost every year in the course of our marriage, which is to say uh, that Patty has had some, you know, really quite terrible cakes uh, in the course of our life uh, together. But this year I decided uh, that I was going to do something a little bit different. And so uh, with a, a nod to uh, a growing part of our spiritual family here at St. Andrew, and with the help of the translator and my iPhone, I wrote, Happy Birthday, Patty in the Amharic language on, on top of the cake, which uh, Patty actually thought was uh, pretty cool. But then uh, uh, the next day, our daughter Lauren, who teaches here in Montgomery County, uh, showed a picture of the decorated cake to some of her Ethiopian students. And they looked at it and they said, what is that supposed to say? <laughs> and Lauren said with great confidence, well, it says, happy birthday, Patty. And uh, the kids just cracked up laughing and ran away. So. Uh, Fortunately, the cake is gone, and I don't know what it really said, and hope I never find out, but uh, it does tell you uh, that in the midst of our family celebration, uh, another very significant part of the family of God and the celebration that we've come to today uh, was very much on our minds as we are here uh, to celebrate the installation of Magesha Gela Shibru, our director of Amharic Outreach, as our vicar here at St. Andrew, as he embarks upon uh, his theological education, his journey to become a pastor, uh, which uh, by God's grace will take place about four years from now. Uh, when that uh, educational journey is complete. And uh, as we celebrate uh, with the family of God here today in the, in the midst of it, which includes a much nicer, bigger, better cake uh, that you will see out in the family room after the service today, uh, we come to yet another portion of Jesus' infamous Sermon on the Mount, uh, when after uh, the Beatitudes or the blessings that you heard about uh, last week, Jesus gives us uh, three figures of speech, three metaphors as a way of describing people who serve him, people who follow him, people who celebrate him, and people who minister in his name to people of every race, of every nation, of every culture, and of every land, and not just people who are called to be pastors either. And so on this long list of biblical metaphors that uh, you might be able to think about, Jesus, the one who calls himself our good shepherd and, and you and me the sheep of his pasture, gathers with this great crowd of people on a Galilean hillside, and he tells them that they are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and a city on a hill. And so today I want to spend a little bit of time with you unwrapping those figures of speech, those metaphors, because if you can really appreciate what they would have meant to the people on that hillside, then maybe they'll mean just as much or maybe even more to you and me in the life that we share and the grace we celebrate in the ministry that we carry out here at St. Andrew and wherever else you as an individual follower of Jesus happen to be. For example, uh, in the world that we live in, uh, salt often, you know, gets kind of a bad rap, you know, for all of its unhealthy effects. And uh, 
uh, all the salt that we find in our foods, which uh, sometimes causes Patty to give me a hard time whenever I salt my dinner, you know, even though I bake her a birthday cake every year. <laughs> and we live in a world also uh, where if somebody says that uh, you're a little salty today, it is not necessarily a compliment. Uh, although it uh, almost certainly was at the time of Jesus. Because at the time of Jesus in the world of first century Galilee, salt was an absolutely critical, vital commodity. And it had two dominant uh, uses, one of which was that in those days before electricity, before refrigeration existed, salt was used to preserve things like meat, like fish, like olives, and to prolong their youth, usefulness so that they would be packed in salt, so that they wouldn't, you know, as my mother used to say, go bad or, or decay or spoil and not be useful, not be good to anybody. And so salt was something that made literally all the difference in the world. Salt was absolutely essential to all of life which in many ways it still is today, like you know, if you need some saline solution because you're dehydrated or uh, uh, you need to uh, clean out a wound or maybe just even you know, freshen up your contacts so that you can see again. Uh, the other dominant use for salt in uh, first century Galilee is the one that we're much more familiar with, of course, and that is uh, to provide seasoning and flavor to our food to enhance it, to bring out the best in it. And so if I put some salt on my corn on the cob, when the meal is over, I don't sit back and say, you know, wow, that salt was really good. Instead, I sit back and I say, wow, that corn was really good. And so when after those beatitudes or those blessings that we heard about last week uh, are spoken and Jesus says to the people on that Galilean hillside, you are the salt of the earth, that would have really meant something to them. Because it was his way of saying, you have the power to preserve the soul of another human being for the glory of God. You have the power to interact with the people of this world in ways that can enhance their life, that can bring out the very best in them. You are the salt of the earth. And so years ago, our former youth minister here at St. Andrew uh, named uh, the high school women and men of our congregation the Saltines, standing for St. Andrew Lutheran Teens, S-A-L-T, but also to remind them of who they really are, at least according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And then comes the next uh, metaphor, and uh, when Jesus uses this and he says to that crowd, you are the light of the world, keep in mind that we live in a world today where there really is a lot of light in the world, literally, even at night. You know, you, you still have light all through your house. We've got light in the church and hospitals and shopping centers and parking lots and roadways and runways and cars and all sorts of other places. And even though the light does shine through the darkness... We often still take it for granted because, you know, there's just so much of it, at least until the power goes out in your neighborhood. And that's when you realize just how dark the world can become, just like that. But the thing is this, 
That's the way it was every night in first century Galilee, where people understood just how dark the world could really become. And they would light their homes with these, you know, little clay oil lamps that would give, you know, a very minor, kind of a subtle, incidental, minimal light to the house. And it's why they would put the light up on a stand or, or as high as it could possibly go, just to maximize its impact. And yet, never was it enough to do anything meaningful in terms of work or enjoyable. And so, when Jesus says to that crowd, you're the light of the world, that meant something to them because they knew how dark the world can be. And it was his way of saying, you've got the power to shine into the darkness of people who are stuck and they're paralyzed in their shame or their grief or their loss or their inferiority. And you have the power to walk with them out into the light of God once again. And that's why one of the first songs that most of us learned when we were kids in Sunday school was, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then the third uh, metaphor is uh, that of a city set on a hill, uh, which in all likelihood was Jesus' cryptic uh, reference to a literal city that sat up on a literal hill, and that was the uh, Galilean provincial capital known as the city of Sepphoris, which was built on top of a hill only about five miles away from Nazareth of all places. And because of where that city was positioned, people could see it from literally miles away, even in the middle of the day. And so there's a good chance that as Jesus was delivering that sermon, when uh, he was uh, pointing out those metaphors and those figures of speech and saying that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, that he might have been thinking about maybe even literally pointing to the city of Sepphoris and saying to them, you now have the power to position yourself in this world so that people can see what you're doing for God, for faith, for hope, and for love, and give glory to your Father in heaven so that they won't just sit back and say, you know, wow, he was good or she was good. But so they can sit back and say, God is really good. And because one of the other things that salt does, by the way, is something you all know, and that is, you know, it makes us thirsty. Remember that episode from Seinfeld? These pretzels are making me thirsty. And that's what it does. And Jesus says that that is a good thing because earlier in the sermon, in those Beatitudes, what does he say? Blessed are those who are hungry and are thirsty for righteousness or a right relationship with God because they will be filled with the grace and truth of Christ who comes to be our light and our life. And so we live in a world today uh, where being the light of the world means walking with somebody out of the darkness of their life, out of the darkness of their guilt, their shame, their inferiority, their struggles in this world. Being the light of the world means walking with people in the causes of peace and of justice and of reconciliation and of harmony for people of every race and every nation and every culture and every language. Being the salt of the earth 
means walking with, supporting, preserving a brother on his way to ministry as a pastor in the church as God continues to enhance and extend and prolong his usefulness to the glory of God. You know, being a city on a hill, it, it means standing up for all kinds of good and godly things so that others will see it and not just recognize you, but to give glory to him. And then there's a couple of other things that I think are just as important to see about this uh, passage today. And one is that, as you may have noticed, Jesus doesn't address his congregation and say to them, you know, you have a chance to be the salt of the earth. I think there's potential for you to be the light of the world. That is not what he says. He says, you are the light. You are the salt. You are the city. And there is a difference. Why? Because we live in a world where so often you get your identity as a result of your behavior. You want to be the leader? You want to be the manager? Well, then you've got to start behaving like the leader. You've got to behave like the manager. And then you will receive that identity. You will be given that name or that title. If there's one thing that's true about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus uses those words that day to turn the whole world inside out. And he starts by giving us our identity and telling people what they were in him. And when they discovered who they really were in him, then it had an effect on their behavior. It was just the opposite. What would your life be like if you looked at your life, your relationship, your relationship with God in just that way? What would be different about your behavior if you started out believing that you are who he says you are already. And the other thing about this metaphor is that uh, it would have sent a, a very powerful message to the people on that Galilean uh, hillside, not only about the dominant functions of salt or people who function like the salt of the earth, it would have sent them the message that he had for them about the value of their lives because the fact of the matter is that in first century Galilee, salt was very valuable because it was very precious, because it was very rare, because you didn't mine salt all over the world back then like you do today. As a matter of fact, uh, in the first century world, Roman soldiers were often paid in salt instead of in currency and they'd literally wear a pouch of salt on their belt to use for seasoning their food, but also bartering and using it as if it was money. And that this salt payment that was made to Roman soldiers had a name, and it was the name Solarium, which is where we get the English word salary. And it's why we say of somebody who does a really good job, they really are worth their salt. And so, when Jesus tells them they're the salt of the earth, what he was saying to them, what he's saying to you, is that you are of immeasurable value. You are precious to him. And there's nothing ordinary about any of you. Nothing. And when you believe that, and you know who you are, 
because of who he says you are, then it turns your world inside out. It changes you. And it preserves you for the glory of God and his purposes in in your life. It, It prolongs your journey of faith. It enhances your experience of absolutely everything. And if by some chance, you know, there might be a day here or there when you wake up in the morning, as I have, and you say to yourself, I don't want to be the light of the world. I don't feel like being the salt of the earth. Then I would invite you to make your way to places and to people who will shine the light of God into the darkness of your life, whatever that darkness represents, whatever it is, and just hang out with the people who God provides who really can bring out the very best in you until you once again can shine with the light of Christ and lead others to the glory of God as they see your good works and say, you know, it's not just that he's good or she's good, but God is good and Jesus really is the light of my life. It makes all the difference in the world. And so, Magesha, you know, I want to throw one more metaphor uh, at you uh, today. Uh, on this one of many milestones in your journey to pastoral ministry, and it does not come uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. This one comes uh, from John chapter 21, which you will hear many times in your journey, I know, where the risen Christ goes up to Simon Peter the fisherman after the resurrection. And he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. It's a metaphor. But it was recently pointed out to me that Jesus did not go up to Peter and say to him, Simon, son of John, do you love sheep? That was not the question. The question was, do you love me? Because when you love him, because he first loved you and he gave you your identity in your baptism, and he names you salt, light, and a city on a hill, then you're going to love the sheep. And you're going to tend the lambs. And you will feed the sheep for the glory of God, because that is how the ministry of Jesus Christ goes on and prospers in this world. And so uh, God bless you and preserve all of you uh, with the one whose message turns life inside out in just one sermon. And he gives this family of God something to celebrate every year and every day as we give thanks for the one who gathers in his word and sacraments through his spirit with this crowd of people on this little corner of the world. And he tells us how valuable we really are to him, how precious we are, and what we can do with the power of his spirit in our lives for the sake of every person 
of every race, of every nation, of every language, in all of this world because of the difference that Jesus Christ makes for you and me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.